Second Chronicles 31. Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is, along with um, Asa and Jehoshaphat and Josiah and David, are, he's a life worth studying and then studying again and then studying again because he is just an outstanding example of godliness. And we saw last time that here's a guy, and I think he's so relevant for today because he had a very terrible father, um, Ahaz. Ahaz competes with Manasseh as the most evil king in Judah in the Messianic line. It's incredible that Jesus allows Jesus, you look at his lineage and it's like, whoa, there's some like seriously wicked people in your lineage, Jesus. And the fact that the God of the universe humbled himself and took, uh, took appearance as a man, it's just an amazing thing. But we saw last time his father Ahaz, um, Whenever I think of Ahaz, I think of the guy who boarded up the temple. He literally, there's, at the time, there was not churches all over the world. There was one temple, and you weren't allowed to open up other temples. Synagogues came much, much later. And they were specifically prohibited. You had a temple, and that's it. And he boarded it up, the temple of God. And he put a bunch of rubbish inside of it. And... Uh, <laughs> I got two waters. I have so many people blessing me. Um, he put rubbish inside of it. So last time we saw he took over at 25 years of age. And I think just this wonderful picture of obedience. He didn't say, you know, I, I, I want to wait a little while before I obey the Lord. None of that. Immediately, immediately. The funeral for his father's service was barely over, and he immediately um, restores the temple, does what's necessary um, to restore the temple. He goes before the people. He confesses immediately. You know, we got to honor our father and mother, even father or mothers that have done really bad stuff. But from time to time, if they did stuff bad publicly, evil publicly, they hurt a lot of people publicly. You got to go public with it, an apology for them. And he did this. He did it in Second Chronicles 29. He, Our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord. He said fathers, but his, his father Ahaz um, really was the one. They have forsaken, have turned their faces away from the dwelling of the place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. And then he got the temple together. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 29 says, He rose early, gathered up the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord, gathered all the worshipers. They sang the trumpeters. They sounded. Um, if you were with us at the um, sunrise service, what instrument did you hear in the service behind us? Shout it out. A trumpet. That's right. <laughs> the, the pastor of the church 
Uh, there were two churches behind us. Uh, they were both churches together in one, in one meeting. But the pastor of one of the churches plays the trumpet. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Calvary Chapel, I can't offer that to you. Um, but, um, and so the temple was restored. And it says in verse 36, I always, I th- well, I frequently think of this verse of Second Chronicles 29. It says, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced. That is when the temple went back into operation. It had been completely shut down. Because the Lord had prepared the people and the events took place so suddenly. And I think about that verse all the time. It doesn't take a long time for the Lord to bring revival and turn things around. It really doesn't. We look out and think, this is impossible. It's one of the great things about that movie, Jesus Revolution. You saw how quickly um, an environment that looked so incredibly evil um, could, could turn around. Chapter 30, he does what anyone does that has a real faith. He goes beyond his borders and he sends people over all the land, telling them to turn back to the Lord. He goes outside of his kingdom, which is what I think is so significant, which is the kingdom of Judah. And he goes up north, which by now there's 10 tribes um, it's, it, that had, of, of Israel, though they had already been defeated at this point. They didn't exist, the northern 10 tribes. The Assyrians um, had overrun it, but he still sends people into dangerous territory. A faith not worth sharing is not a faith worth having. Just remember that. When someone rebukes you, for sharing your faith, uh, which will happen to you if you're sharing your faith. Why can't you just leave it to yourself? And he sent them out. Verse 10 of chapter 30 says, they laughed at his people that sent them out. And uh, that will happen to you. And it's not thing new. This is written, uh, let me see, about 2,700 years ago. They're laughing at um, the messengers of God. And um, and then uh, they have the Passover. The Passover, of course, is that great reminder of us who of who Jesus Christ is. It can hardly be worth. Um, you can hardly tell the story too much. The tenth plague, the Passover, the. Ten plagues forced the Pharaoh's hand till they left the land. The tenth, being, tenth plague being the plague of the firstborn and the angel of death came over upon all the land to kill all the firstborn except those who put the blood of a lamb, a lamb, over the doorpost of their house and on the two sides. Sign of a cross. It's like whatever thousands of years before, uh, or 1,500 years or something like that, before, um, before Jesus was crucified, the Jews were ordered to put the sign of a cross, essentially. They wouldn't, weren't told it was a cross, but the blood of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist. Jesus Christ. But he put him over their door, and when the angel of death went over those houses... He didn't ask who has sinned inside, who is raped, who is molested, who is cheated, who is lied. Didn't ask that. They just wanted to see the blood of the Lamb. The same thing will be of your life. You know, from time to time, I, I speak to people who think, how could 
you just don't understand how much sin is in my life, how many people I hurt and so bad. Well, listen, the reason the scene on the cross was so incredibly ugly, the Son of God bleeding to death, mangled on the cross, unrecognizable, that sin was a lot uglier than yours, no matter how bad it is. Your, the, 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 what Jesus did on the cross covers it. But the Passover was a foreshadowing of that, and they do the Passover, and they finish it. So finally, that's my introduction. I'm in verse 1 of the chapter we're in tonight. It says, now when all of chapter 31, verse 1, now when all of this was finished... All Israel who was present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images and threw uh, down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. So, in preparation of, uh, for, for this message, I, I, I heard this and I thought it was very good. How often does one of you hear something in a message on Sunday, you're very moved by the message and you realize, I got to change this part of my life. And you're all fired up to do it, but then you go out, whatever, to the food court, you go to um, uh, uh, dinner that night, then work in the morning, and then by the end of the week, you're not as zealous about ch changing that part of your life, and then you just don't. Anyone ever do that? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Notice here, it says they didn't even leave and go back home before they went out and they got rid of all the idols in their life. Every Sunday morning, we're in 9.30 a.m. prayer in the Fenway. Please, please, please come and join us. It's my favorite part of every single week, 9.30 a.m. prayer. We're crying out to the Lord. We're pr we pray that the Lord would, would get rid of people's idols through the message of the word and worship. The leaven, we often refer to it in our prayer time. But I got to tell you, when the Lord puts it on your heart to do something, obey now. Don't wait. As a pastor, I can tell you gory story after gory story. As someone who was convicted, they said they would, and the message was clearly for them. Like, Pastor, how did you know my life? How did you know I have this idol? Did you look inside my house and know that I'm doing this sin? They're really into it, but they don't obey now. The time to obey is now, not later, now. Before your heart hardens. So important. These people, notice, they don't even go home. Um, it says at the very end of, um, of the verse, after destroying all the idols, then they went home. <laughs> so don't even wait to go home. Obey. If, someone, if, you, if, if you're hearing a message, I, this is clearly, clearly telling me I need to call Aunt Betty, who has wronged me so terribly, but I have ignored her for five years. I haven't been Christ-like to her. I need to just call her and apologize for ignoring her for so long. Whatever it is, obey now, the Bible says. And so we learn that here 
from Hezekiah and his people. Verse 2, Hezekiah appointed the divisions of priests and Levites. According to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and the peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. Now, so he's putting everyone back to work. All the pastors and priests and everyone had no job under, the pre, under his father. He had fired everyone, and there was only pagan gods. There was no temple. So he puts them all back to work. Verse 3, the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings. So there's a burnt offering of a lamb in the morning, foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And there was a burnt offering um, of, of a lamb in the evening. The Bible says that for the law was a shadow of the good things to come. So the, the lambs being offered were a foreshadowing of, um, of the good things to come, of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And so you know that a country is in a, and is in a low state when pastors are working full-time jobs and things like that because there's not enough people to support them. And that's what had gotten, it got into the point that um, the, 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 the priests and the work, Levites who were the uh, temple workers, they, they couldn't support the temple. Now, interestingly enough, Calvary Chapel has a model. There's something like 1,500 Calvary chapels, and almost everyone was started with the pastor starting the church while they're working and then gradually getting off work. So I worked, how many years did I work? I worked eight years, but I, I gradually went from five days to four days to three days to no days, just over time. That's our model. But, uh, for example, but, but our, and that's not the only model. Most denominations have a different model where they just start the pastor full-time, and that's a very good model, too. We don't have the right model, neither do they. They're all different for different places and different people. Um, but interestingly, my mentor, his name is Damien Kyle, he's, he told me one time when I was thinking about when I was thinking about, man, do I really make this crazy move and quit my job and become a full-time pastor? And his thing was, listen, the number, I, I'll, he said, I'll talk to your elder board. <laughs> he goes, the number one priority of an elder board should be making their pastor full-time. And then the second one, you'll never guess. Does anyone want to take a wild guess? If you get it right, I will bring five stickers those, those little star stickers that they give kids and put them on your forehead next week. Does anyone want to take a guess of what it might be? That they never leave? That they never leave. Huh, that's an interesting one. Anyone else want to take a guess? Building the congregation. 
So th- this is the, so what he said, this, this should be the priority for the leadership board of the church of what they do with their pastor. Number one, they should make, get their pastor full time. And then the, the leadership of the church should do something else with the pastor. Anyone know? Pray for them? I like that one. Okay, you should go. Okay, well that, that that's true. You have to you have to obey God. But the the, the number two one was someone else want to guess? I, I heard a voice. That you die being a pastor of that church. They hold you to repentance. Okay, no, the, I, I, those are all very good answers. But he said you should send them to Israel. Isn't that, that's very strange that he said that, but that's what he said. And, and I've never been to Israel, even though Pastor Scott and, and Greg, they set aside money for me to go to Israel, but I was going to Haiti and Brazil and Argentina, I don't, I, whatever. So I may only make it to Israel in the millennial kingdom. I, I, I don't know. I, I would love to go to Israel, but anyway, that, I'm sorry, that was totally random. Will you guys forgive me for being totally random? But, but the, the point that he was making, which is his first, first point, is if you're a leadership board of a church and your pastor's working, your highest priority is get him to stop working. So he is full-time, and that's what it says there in, in verse 4. It says, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord, meaning that's their whole... That's what they're completely devoted to. So, you know, right now I've been full-time for a long time, and I'm able to devote myself to the Word of God and prayer, those two things. And if God ever, if I have to go back to work someday, I'll go back to work. But up to right now, I've, we, we've been a long time, like 15, 14 years or something like that, and I've been full-time. And that is the priority here um, for to, to get people to devote themselves to the Word of God, but also to prayer, it says in the book of Acts chapter 6. Five, verse 5, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance of the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field, that they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So they, oops, they brought, they, they uh, Wow, that was, ah, do I need someone to come up here? It's taken off. Am I on? All right, I'm on. So they, they, this was a group of people who were um, obedient to Hezekiah's command. Wow, I'm really creating a scene up here. And uh, they were obedient to his command. They wanted uh, th- this was a real revival. This was like the real thing. The people said, wow, yeah, we want the Levites, we want the pa- pastor to be able to devote himself to the word and prayer. And they came up with an abundance of tithe of everything. Verse 6, the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the, um, to the Lord um, their God. And they laid in heaps... So there's so much there in heaps. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. 
And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9, then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. Now, he was very, very thankful for these heaps of just money and cattle and sheep and oil to take care of the Levites. But he also was like, whoa, what's, what's up with this? This doesn't look like very organized and like someone can come and steal this. Like what's going to go on? So it says in verse 10, um, verse 9, he questioned the, the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. What, it, what he really does is he gives them a lecture because what you're going to read now is he put people in charge of all this money. In verse 10, he says, And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is this great abundance. So there's like all these like piles of expensive stuff. So verse 11, now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. They faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, the dedicated things. Conaniah the Levite had charge of them, and Shimei, his brother, was the next. So he built some rooms to put this stuff in so it's not stolen. And so it can, they can make an inventory of that. And it says, then they faithfully brought in, um, sorry, verse 13, it lists the other names um, of the overseers under the hand uh, who were appointed, end of verse 13, at the commandment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the ruler of the house of God. Verse 14, Kor, not to be confused with Thor, sorry, that's just my attempt at being funny. But my wife tells me I'm not really good at being funny from the pulpit. Kor, the son of Imna the Levite, the, the keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offerings to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. So it's, it says he was over the freewill offerings. I got to tell you, that's, if you're having a pen, remember from last Sunday, I hope you do bring a pen with your Bible. Underline that word, free will offerings. This is really what the Bible in the book of Leviticus says. When free, free will offerings are made, it says it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. It blesses his heart. As opposed to, for example, other kinds of offerings like sin offerings and trespass offerings that are required. A free will offering, no one's making them do it. No one's, no one's making them pay them, but they're coming in and they're doing it. And I love the fact, I've always cherished the fact that our church, the service of the people in our church, and there's something like 70 people on our ministry team at Calvary Chapel, it's, except for me, I'm on staff, I'm paid, I'm the only one who's paid. Everything else is a free will offering to God, and that is a serious, sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. It says that the free, it talks about there the, the free will offerings. And then uh, 
Verse 15, and under him were Eden, Meneum, Jeshua, Shimei, Amari, and Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priests, to distribute allotments to their brethren by division to the great as well as to the small. In other words, they didn't just give to the famous church workers or the church workers everyone knew. They were giving to them. Verse 16, besides those males from, the, from three years old and end up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service. So they're financing the work of the Lord here. And to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and the Levites from 20 years old up according to their work by their divisions. And so he's going throughout the entire country now, and he's making sure all the churches, didn't call them churches, of course, but the places where the Levites taught the people and stuff, that they were supported so they could dedicate themselves to prayer and the word of God. It says that, um, verse 18, and to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones, their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness, meaning the, the, the families of the Levites and the priests were supported by the people. And that's the model, um, same model really in the New Testament. Verse 19, also the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of the common lands of the city. In every single city, there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord, his God. So all those heaps... Hezekiah said, you take these heaps and you distribute it over all the land. He's making an investment in the kingdom of God. He's not, not that armies were not important. We'll see that in the next uh, chapter. It's not that fortification and building towers and gates around the city are not important, but he, he invests in the kingdom of God. Verse 21 and in every work, I, 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 would, this, would this verse be a description of you when you go on to be, the Lord, to be with the Lord? This verse right here. I pray it'll be a description of you. Every one of you in this room or whoever listens to the sermon who's watching it. It says, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did with all his heart. Wow. Praise the Lord. So he prospered. I've never seen a person not prosper who is serving the Lord with all his heart. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father through him. That includes your full-time job, whatever job you have. Do it with all your heart. So your bosses, they may hate your religion, but man, they'll start giving you more and more responsibility because hard workers are hard to find and hard workers who tell the truth are even harder to find. That's why Christians prosper so many times in their jobs. They're doing it with all their hearts. 
So chapter 32. says now again let, let me let me set the scene for you here um remember there were under david king david who was the first good king of israel and under king saul who was the first king although he was a bad one there were 12 tribes in israel the 12 sons of judah and the tribes that basically descended from them and during the reign of Solomon's son, there was a civil war, and ten tribes went to the north, and two tribes went to the south. The north is called Israel, even though they never had a good king, and even though the line of the Messiah to Jesus Christ did not come from the north, it was called Israel. The two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, they're called Judah, and it's through that line, through the line of Judah, came Jesus Christ. By this time, the, the Assyrians were a world empire that came in and just wiped out the northern ten tribes. There's, they don't exist anymore at this time. So Hezekiah is sort of minding his business in the south, trying to be a good king, repenting, doing all kinds of wonderful things, opening up the temple, serving the Lord very faithfully. And in chapter 32, verse 1, you, you have the verse that um, basically annihilates the health and wealth prosperity doctrine, which is originated, I believe, in the United States. It's now been exported all over the world, which is if you follow God, your suffering will go, to we- go away and you'll just become rich and prosperous, and there, you won't have any problems. It's a demonic teaching that is very prevalent. But this verse annihilates that doctrine. It says, After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to themselves. So, Why does it annihilate the prosperity doctrine? Well, because great suffering and trials will come upon every believer because Satan, who is, anyone who's doing verse 21 of chapter 31, which is they are seeking God and serving him with all their heart is going to have Satan and demonic forces come up against them in one way or another. And that's what happens to Hezekiah. You would think verse 1 would read, if you believe the prosperity teachers, and after these deeds of faithfulness, Hezekiah just lived in comfort the rest of his days. That does not happen. (laughs) Anyone who's ever been in ministry, especially leadership in ministry, knows that when you get in leadership and you're serving the Lord and, 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 and good things start to happen in your ministry, you get a bullseye on your back. And, and Satan just starts to, Satan just starts to, um, wee. See, I started it. I started all of this because of like my shirt messing up my microphone and 
It's okay, grace, grace, God's grace. But you get a bullseye on your back, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm at the point, and I, I'm still learning, but every time something good happens I, um, in ministry, I, I, know what's, I know what's coming next. Oh, my, I know what's coming next. And that's what happened. It says, after these deeds of faithfulness, it doesn't say he lived comfortably for the rest of his life. It says, Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Now, mind you, this is the guy who has wiped out the northern ten tribes of Israel and every other nation who is known at this time to Israel and the world. Now, the Assyrians, they were the same ones that you know, Jonah didn't like. Remember Jonah? He, didn't, he was told to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? They were incredibly evil. They would skin their victims alive and put on the gates of the city that they conquered the skin of the people that they conquered. And they would put their heads up on poles. They were just known to be incredibly evil people. It says, why, Lord, I've served you faithfully. Look at everything I've done. I've been so faithful. My father shut up the temple, and I've opened it back up. We've served the Passover to the people after it had been ignored for so many years. We sent people to other places outside of our country to tell them about the gospel. Why are you doing this? Hopefully, as you grow in the Lord, you're not really you, you stop asking questions like that, although <laughs> it takes years and years. Um, and still, even after years and years, it's like, whoa, what's up, the, what's up, Lord? What is this about? But this is a serious trial. We have never had anything remote to this happen in our country or our city, where the city is surrounded by a, a, a people that... Um, just want to come in and kill us and torture us and rape the women and, 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 and this kind of stuff. That's what the Assyrians were like. And they're surrounding the city. It says in verse 1, after the deeds of faithfulness. Verse 2, when Hezekiah saw Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city, and they helped him. And so he prevents this army that's now surrounding Jerusalem from having a water source. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs in the brook that ran through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Verse 5, and he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers. Remember, the first money he got, he didn't spend it on building up the walls of the city. He spent it on what? What did he spend it on? We just, we just talked about it. Paying the Levites, paying the priests, paying the people to teach the word of God. So there's still stuff that needed to be done, like Repairing the wall of the temple. So he repairs the wall of the temple that had been broken. He raised it up to the towers and built another wall outside. Also, he repaired the Milo in the city of David. So the Milo was this big like fortification rock wall and made weapons and shields in abundance. 
Then he sent military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong. This is a great two verses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with them or him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battle. And the people were strengthened in the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now, uh, in 2 Kings, if you remember, we, were, um, we, we studied the life of, uh, of Elisha, who, uh, remember there's, there's that one story, a story of Elisha where uh, he's a prophet and a servant, wakes up in the morning and it's surrounded by the Syrians who wanted to Should I just, should, I should just keep on? Okay, John's Superman. Thank you, Superman. And thank you for your patience. So I was talking about, you know, Hezekiah makes this statement, there's more with us than with them. Now that, he was talking not about the size of his army, because the size of the army around them was 185,000 people. We'll find... We'll find that out later. But he wasn't talking about the numbers of people in the army. He was talking about the Lord. And you guys, many of you are familiar with the story of Elisha, who was a Jewish prophet. And basically, he was telling the Jewish kings everywhere that the Syrians would go. He would tell them everywhere the Syrians um, would go. And so the, the king of Syria was like, what is going on? And someone told him, well, there's a prophet in, in Israel that tells the king, wherever, whatever you do, so you can dream something, this prophet's going to know. And so he sent an army to try to kill this guy, Elisha. And Elisha's servant wakes up and sees a gigantic army surrounding. The whole gigantic army was there for one purpose, to kill his master, the prophet Elisha. And... The servant runs in to Elisha and says, we're surrounded, we're dead. And Elisha says, no, there's more for us um, than you see out there. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he says, Lord, open up his eyes. And he looks, and the, 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 the Lord gives the servant a vision of just 
chariots of fire just surrounding and tens of thousands of them. And that's real. When Elisha says here, when he says here, there are more with us in verse 7 than with him, he's just is simply recognizing the truth that the God of the universe has so much more at his disposable, disposal than we'll ever know in the natural. And we can have faith in God. It says the people, it says after he finished talking to them, verse 8 says the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah. You know, and we had a communion last um, Friday night where Eric asked for people to share the word of God or share what's in their heart. The, 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 the purpose of a, people getting up here is to strengthen people by the word of God, to strengthen. People on Friday night were strengthened. The gift of encouragement, by the way, is supremely not just encouraging people, saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. It's giving them scripture, giving them truth to strengthen them of the promises of God. So he, you know, he's in the natural, he's in a ton of trouble here. He's got an army surrounding him. The army is as vicious as any army in human history. And so he tells his, his military leaders and, and the multitude with them that, you know, you're, you're good. God is going to save you. There's more with us than with him. I'm not sure the multitude was there. Verse 6 says the military captains over the people were there. But um, verse, verse 9 says, Then after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all his forces were with him laid siege against Lachish. So he himself was somewhere else, but he sent his servants to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying... Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Now, we know from the book of 2 Kings that the people are on the wall listening to all of this. So this is, they're shouting out and letting the people know. They're trying whatever they can do to get the people, basically, to cut, rebel against their king and turn their king over. So this is, in Sennacherib, by the way, he's a type of Satan in the Bible, meaning the way he operates is the way Satan operates. We know that Satan is using him. Satan uses people to accomplish his will. And he speaks here real, real similar to how Satan speaks to you and to me. He says, thus Sennacherib, king of Israel, says, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem. Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? And this is how Satan lies to you. Are you kidding? You, your God is going to rescue you from that situation that you're in now? 
Who are you kidding? Why are you believing that? You'll have voices that will be telling you these very things. Um, Psalm 3 says this. It says, Many are they who say to me or of me, there's no help for him in God. And there's a voice that will tell you, there's no help from you from God. Don't you know that? Satan's all about fear and lies. Jesus said, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. Verse 12, he uses sort of a different lie. Remember, this is all he's speaking to all the, the Jews who are on the wall listening. And has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars? And commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it. So now this is fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Remember, we already read that it's against the law of Moses to worship anywhere but Jerusalem. And so under Hezekiah, the revival, they took away these high places on the mountains where there are these altars to foreign gods or even altars to Jehovah where they weren't supposed to be worshiping. There was no order there. There was no, no one to give them direction on how to worship. And so when human beings are not given any direction from the word of God of how to worship, they'll worship anything in whatever way. And so... Somehow, Assyria had found out what Hezekiah had ordered. He ordered all the high places to go down. And this is just another thing that, 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 that Satan does to you. He, he, you know, God is a control freak. He's controlling your life. What? He's taken down these high places. He's, he, he'll lie to you just saying he's making you do this. He's making you do that. He's a control freak. One place to worship in all the world? What kind of God is this? That's the way Satan lies. The Word of God is requiring you to do that, to do this? You're kidding me. Satan will lie to you in that very way. And then another lie, you can just, this is a study in Satan, by the way. Another lie is verse 13. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the people of the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? So this is, this is a, a real big-time lie that the devil uses with me all the time. You know, look at what happened to that pastor, that church, this person, that person. You know, uh, and, and, and the ministries or pastors who have fallen into sin or failed or whatever. Satan will do that to you. Look at, you know, why... You think you're going to prosper by going this? Look at this one Christian. They lost their job and they went bankrupt. That Christian got divorced. That Christian fell into sin. The Lord always tells me the same thing. Don't look to the right or the left. Put your hand to the plow. Do not just go forward. Jesus said to the, remember Jesus said to the one guy who wanted to fall. And he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Not only look back, but even to the right or the left. We just need to put our hand at the plow, believe the promises of God. Don't look at what may be happening in the life of another Christian or person. Just move forward. 
So that's another lie. That double, he uses that with me all the time. It says in um, verse 14, Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. So now he's insulting God. And, and, and when you start, he's, he's moved from he, insulting Hezekiah to insulting God. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you're in deep doo-doo. Oh, boy. I shudder when I start hearing people, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to, you know, call all Christians hypocrites and all the other stuff that, that we do when we're lost and we're mad and we, we don't want to obey God. We, we say, but when you start cursing God and insulting God, you're in trouble. It says that in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give an account. Every thought that you have. Don't kid yourself. God knows what you're thinking. So he starts insulting God. Verse 16, furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, as the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. Listen, Calvary Chapel, Tuesday night Calvary Chapelites. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is not possible to please God. You can go out and do great good works. You can be a good husband. You can be a good wife and be a good father, mother, but if you're not walking by faith, you cannot please God, says Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And by definition, faith, it's defined in Hebrews chapter 11, by definition, this is what faith is. Faith is walking according to the promises of God, not knowing in the natural what the outcome is. Is going to be. It says of Abraham, I think it's verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, he went out not knowing where he was going. He only knew God wanted him to head out. He didn't know where he was going. And that's the nature of faith. When we live in the natural, we know, we, we, this is, we want to live in the natural. We want to know, boom, 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 exactly what's going to happen. But that's not if, but that's not living by faith. That's not living with God. It's not living with Him, dependent upon Him. We're just depending upon ourselves. And so uh, they're having to live by faith here. They spoke against God, the God of Jerusalem, and against His servant Hezekiah. And verse 20 says, Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. 
I heard the most phenomenal testimony this week of just a young lady who just started it, not only crying out to God, screaming out to God. And, and it's just amazing what the Lord has done in her life in the last month. It just brought tears to my eyes. It, bring, it got so much encouragement. Screaming out to God because she was in a place where there was no she was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. It was hopeless. So we should, and then just to see the Lord come in and, and just rescue her from the, situ, the serious, 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 serious situation she was in. It says they prayed and cried out to God. And notice the, it's the prophet Isaiah, that big, fat book in the middle of the Bible, that wonderful book. Isaiah, who prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, he was a contemporary of Hezekiah. So he goes to Hezekiah. Hezekiah goes to the prophet Isaiah, it says in verse 20, and he just cries out, and they pray together. Verse 21, <laughs> Then the, I shouldn't laugh, I'm sorry, because this is, this is not funny. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own officers struck him down there. Now, we know from the, um, we know from the, uh, from 2 Kings that 185,000 men were struck down in one night. By the angel of the Lord. And then the same guy who was insulting God went home and he was struck down by his own children. The judgment of the Lord. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah, verse 22, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of a Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from, of, and, and from the hand of all the others, and guided them on every side, and many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem, and presents to, the, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of the nations thereafter. So all the other nations looked and said, wow, the one nation that was not wiped out by the king of Assyria, this little tiny uh, nation of, of Judah. Verse 24, in those days Hezekiah was sick, and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, the wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. But he humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of God did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So notice there that just how hard it is that even this incredible godly man, how incredibly hard it is to get the, a victory at the hand of the Lord and stay humble. It's just, it's not how we're wired. We've inherited from our forefathers, just we want to, we, from the sin of Adam and Eve, we, we, do we just want to, to take the credit it says, verse 27, 
um, Hezekiah had very uh, great riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest, grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for the all kinds of livestock and folds for flocks. So once all the nations saw that he clearly had um, the Lord on his side, they, he started getting great favor. Verse 29, moreover, he provided cities for himself and pos possessions of flocks and herds in abundance for God and had given him very much property. This same Hezekiah also stopped up the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. And so we know from Second Kings what happened there. So back up in verse 25, we saw that his heart was lifted up. He became prideful. Um, but then in verse 26, he humbled himself. Well, verse 31 is talking about how he became prideful. We learn about it in Second Kings that the princes of Babylon came and what he did with them is he showed them every single bit of property, of jewels, that he owned everything that, that had, he had accumulated over time. He showed them all his riches, all his abundance. And Isaiah came in and rebuked him. The prophet Isaiah came in and rebuked him like, what are you doing? But we do know that he humbled himself I believe he humbled himself because he knew the principle, which we've talked about so many times on Tuesday night, and I gave a sermon on it five or six weeks ago. What did King David tell his son Solomon three things to do in order to prosper? Number one, know God. Number two, serve God. And number three, seek God. What did Solomon stop doing? seeking God. He stopped seeking God, and that's why he went off the rails. Hezekiah was a man who never stopped seeking God, and so he was able to find the heart of the Lord. And it says again up there in verse 26, he humbled himself um, before the Lord. Verse 32, now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet. So all of this, you're, by the way, you're, you, you also read in the book of Isaiah. A lot of the story, rather, this particular story about Sennacherib and the, um, and, and the Assyrians coming. And in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel, verse 33, so Hezekiah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the um, upper tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. <clears throat> 